Last week, for those of you who weren't here, we talked about major prophet in the minor prophets. In other words, we were talking about how we can benefit a great deal from the minor prophets. In the minor prophets, we told we we uh, discussed this last week. There are twelve prophets toward the end of our Old Testament. Most of us are. Uh, who have, are a little familiar with the Bible, we're, we understand that the Bible is divided into two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a lot of us are real familiar with the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but just before that, the last part of the Old Testament are 12 minor prophets. And they're only the only reason they are minor prophets is what, folks? Those of you who were here. Why were they called minor prophets? Thing. Someone said length. It's not about the importance of their message. Last week we read from, uh, or two weeks ago we talked, we talked about making Amos famous. Amos had a short book. But this week we're talking about um, the book of Haggai. Alright, so if you st- know where the New Testament is, if you go to Matthew, okay, and turn to your left, three books. So Haggai is the third to the last. Old Testament prophet in the Minor Prophets. All right, um, not a book you read a lot about, not a book you hear a lot about, but it's definitely important to us because all Scripture is important from uh, Christ's perspective. So, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the Book of Haggai. We're going to read that book today. It's I think thirty-eight verses, not a lot of reading. Um, excuse me. Yes, 38 verses. Let's read that just starting from uh, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed 
the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month. In the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Continuing into chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries me in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw out 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you all with the products of the toil, with blight, excuse me, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak, O Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, 
declares the Lord of hosts. Okay. Thank you for your attention. A little bit long reading. One of the things I'm trying to encourage us is this. When you sit to read the Bible, and for those of us who are uh, reading through the the daily walk and this morning, uh, I was encouraging the youth group, we're going to be reading, just so you parents are aware of this, the youth group is going to be reading through the daily walk Bible this fall, and um, we're going to be starting in Matthew this week and reading through the uh, New Testament. And if you have a daily walk Bible that we passed out last January and you're still reading it, Praise the Lord, we're glad for that. If maybe you dropped off or it's, you kind of, it's been a habit you let go by the wayside, my encouragement would be to pick it up again, join us again. We're going to be reading through the Gospels, reading through the New Testament this fall, starting this week, October the 1st. Join us. It's a great adventure. But the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to read the whole book is just to show you that, you know, I think that took us about nine minutes. Not quite, give or take. About nine minutes to read the book of uh, Haggai. Now, the question is, okay, so it's a short book. We can read it in a short amount of time. What's the point? What do we learn from Haggai that these people needed to know? And more importantly is, what can we learn from Haggai that we need to know? Because do we read the Bible just for the sake of knowing what the Bible says? James says, if you read the Bible just to hear it, but you don't read the Bible with a heart to change, to change your heart or to do what it says, he says you're like someone who gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and doesn't do anything about what you see. Is there anyone here this morning who just got up, looked in the mirror, and came to church? Didn't brush your teeth, didn't comb your hair, didn't put on deodorant, you just came kind of like as you were. And I'm not talking about teenage boys, I'm talking about older people. Anyone over the age of 18 who... No, we didn't do that, right? We didn't do that. We, we got up, looked in the mirror. Oh, need to make some adjustments. I know Sam shaved this morning. You know, we, we did what we need to do. We're here because we saw a need and we changed. The Bible says the same thing. When you read the Bible, don't just read it and go, oh, well, that was nice. You read the Bible as a mirror. You look into the Bible as a light. Combine a light and a mirror and you can see yourself pretty clearly. You don't like what you see. The Bible says then pay attention and change. So, it's important for us to do that. Let's pray now that we've read the Bible, let's pray that the Lord would teach us what He wants us to learn. Father in heaven, we pause now that we, we have read Your Word, and we pray that our hearts would receive what Your Holy Spirit would teach us about this Word. It's important for all of us. There's a lesson for us here in Haggai. We want to learn it. We want to do it so that we can be wise hearers of the Word of God and doers, not just hearers. So we thank You, Lord, for Your help in teaching us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's think about the background of Haggai for just a moment. Haggai is written, um, he was one of the prophets who addressed the people once they got back from the land of Babylon. You remember, or or remember with me, that um, the children of Israel had forsaken the Lord and for many years he sent them prophets. And these prophets said, you need to, we need to warn you. Two weeks ago when we talked about Amos, his prophecy was a prophecy of warning. He was basically saying, folks, if you don't get this, you're going to be in big trouble. Did they get it? 30 years later, what happened? The whole nation of Israel was hauled off by the Assyrian king and scattered. They did not pay attention. One of the nice things about Haggai is he is writing to the group of people who came back from Babylon. After Judah was taken captive over to Babylon, 70 years go by, the king says, you know what, I'm going to let some of you all go home. 
And there was a bunch of folks who got real excited and they came back home. And this is after they've been exiled or taken captive in Babylon. They get back and Haggai is one of the prophets who speaks to them now. I love the book of Haggai for another reason. There are two, two books, two minor prophets that kind of have a happy ending. Who remembers what happened when Jonah preached to the Assyrians? Jonah preached to the Ninevites and said, you all need to repent. And the Ninevites were like, what? We got it. Starting from the king to the, the poorest beggar, they all repented. And what happened? God was going to judge their city, destroy the whole thing in 40 days. The city of Nineveh repents and God doesn't have to destroy them. That's a good ending. Now, Jonah was a little bummed about it because he had a, grief, he had a bone to pick with the Assyrians. But hey, he was the prophet. The prophet spoke. The people listened. Did you catch what happened in this book? Look, look, if you have your Bible open, I encourage you to keep your Bible open. In chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Zerubbabel, Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Let me ask you moms, let me ask you dads. If you tell your, you, let's say your children are doing something wrong. And you give them a warning. I'll just pick an example from our house. Guys, you're not supposed to be playing football. This was yesterday. You're supposed to be cleaning the garage. What are we supposed to be doing? Cleaning the garage. And the boys quit playing football and they go to the garage. What do I think as a dad? Good, right? That's what you think as a parent, right? You're not doing what you're supposed to do. I I come and I get after you and you change. And now you're doing what you're supposed to do. We're all good, right? That's the book of Haggai. He gets to preach to people who listen. Don't you love it when your children listen? Don't you like it when they listen the first time? Right? In this case, they got back from the land of Babylon, and I think it was about 536 B.C. They got back, but you know what? They they did. They kind of started to rebuild the temple, but the effort kind of faded and fizzled. And so we're talking 16 years later, that temple looks like somebody started something, but nobody ever finished the thing. Haggai comes back to these people, and look what he says here. They haven't been working. They haven't been doing their work. But what do they say, if you would please, what do they say is their reason in verse 2? In verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Okay? Have you ever had something that you knew you needed to do, but you kept putting it off? You knew you really needed to get around to that, but mm, uh, got other things to do. Sometimes we call that a problem of procrastination. I I really... uh, I don't want to get to that right now. And if you're like me, I can have a tendency to take the thing that's the least favorite of my things to do. Regardless of how important it is, I'll let that go to the bottom of my list. I'd rather do something that's easy or fun or whatever. Is the problem one of procrastination? Look at what the Lord says. 
They said, it's not quite the time to build the Lord. We, you know, maybe the funds weren't all in or we, we're still working on finding the right guys. And you know what? We've just got some other things to do. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Here's the question. Verse four. God has a way of asking people questions that nail us. Just kind of nails us. He nails them with this question. Oh, okay, so you don't have time to build my house? You haven't quite got around to it? Look what he says in verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In effect, he said, that's interesting. You don't have time to build my house? But you've got plenty of time to build your own. In fact, a paneled house in that day was kind of a nice house. I mean... That, that This was a, a, a house that had wood walls on the inside. You know, the people who settled the West, they would start out in clay houses, you know, and then later on maybe they'd build a board house. But then they finally got walls on the inside. Nice house. The Lord says, you all have got the time and the resources, interestingly enough, to build your panel houses, but my house is still lying in the dirt, in the footings. So is it really a matter of procrastination or is it really a problem of priorities? Is it a problem of procrastination or is it a problem of priorities? And now the Lord says, consider your ways. Think about something. I want you to think about the bigger picture and what's going on. And he goes on, he says, verse five. And we see this several times, four times in this short little book. He says, consider, think about, consider your ways. I'm in verse five. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. What's going on in your life? He says, you have sown much and harvested little. I'm looking at David and Christine. They've got a garden out at Bill and Gloria's. I mean, I don't know how David would feel if, if he planted a whole bunch of beans and then he comes out and harvests very little. And maybe a gopher or something got into that that really liked his bean seeds and just went along and dug them all up and ate them. I don't know. But you, have you ever been in this situation? Like you're working and you're working, you're sowing much, and you reap little. What else is going on? He says, you sow much, you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. Now, my boys would tell you that's, that's how they feel all the time. They get up from lunch and say, what's for supper? Get up from breakfast. What are we having for lunch? They eat and they eat, but they're just never satisfied. Have you been in a situation where you drink, but you're never full? You clothe yourselves, you've got your clothes on, but you're still cold. And it says, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Tell me you don't know what that feels like. It can be a hole in your tire, or it can be a hole in your radiator. It can be a hole in your kid's coop. You know what I'm saying? You earn money, and you put it into something that's got holes in it. And it just seems like you don't get ahead. Have you ever heard the phrase, three steps forward, and, or two steps forward, three steps back? I remember going to the Michigan Sand Dunes. It was all very hard to make progress running up a sand dune, because every time you took a step, you just felt like you were losing ground. Uh, Haggai is saying to these people, think about it, you all. You've been sowing, reaping little. You're not satisfied. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. So in the first part, God says, I want you all to consider your ways. So you've seen in the cartoons where they draw one of these thought clouds around this. Okay, draw a thought cloud around this on your outline. Consider your ways. I want you to think about what's going on in your life. Put a couple things together here. First of all, think about your situation. Your situation isn't very good. 
you guys wonder why you keep going backwards? Hmm. You keep going backwards. You know, you don't have to go backwards. Do you remember when the children of Israel walked around the desert for 40 years? Remember what God did to their shoes? Do you remember that? The Bible says they walked around, and for 40 years, their clothes never wore out, their shoes never wore out. Now, I wish that would be the case with the clothes I buy for my kids, right? They'd go out of style, but they wouldn't wear out. And, and here's the deal. I pray that blessing on my car. God, you kept the Israelite sandals for 40 years. Can you keep this 2000 Chevy van running for us, you know? Pray that blessing. You don't have to go backwards. But God says, think about your situation. What's the next thing God tells him to consider? Look in chapter, verse 7. He says, he says it again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here is the solution. Consider your ways and think about the situation. But he says, consider your ways and think about the solution. What is the solution, Lord? Here Haggai's going to tell him. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. That's what God says. In fact, he goes on. He says, you look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. God did that. God's blowing my money away. God's putting holes in my my pockets or my bags. He says this, why? And now I'm in verse I'm in verse 8 or verse 9. Why declares the Lord of hosts. Another question, why? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Maybe I've used this analogy before, but when we used to go boating with my kids, I borrowed a friend's boat, we'd be on a lake, and they like to drive. Hey, you don't need a driver's license on a lake. So I'm letting the little kid drive, and as long as the kid is going where I want him to, I have no problem throttle down. So let that kid go somewhere I don't want to, what am I going to do? I pull back on the throttle. That's not where I want you to go. God is saying, why are these things happening? Have you guys thought about the connection between the situation and the solution? You're all up about your stuff, but nobody cares about my stuff. God says, put me first. My house lies in ruins. And he goes on to say, therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. If you're in an agricultural society, okay, what happens in Franklin County if these reservoirs dry up, folks? No irrigation, no crops, and our economy takes a big tank, right? And, and he says here, I have shut off the dew, I've shut off the heavens, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man, beasts, and on their labors. Now, what would you all think if Mr. Haggai came in? I don't expect that Haggai would have dressed any differently than we dressed. He'd be dressed in clothes like we. He wouldn't stand here like a, he would look somehow weird in a prophet gown. He would be one of us. And if he stood up and said, okay, here's the deal, folks. We have been ignoring God's house. We've been focusing on our own houses. Now there's going to be a drought. Does he have anybody's attention? Is anybody here going to go? Is that the deal? Is there any way we can get around this? I was told uh, this week by Geico that they were dropping us from their program. They would no longer insure us. Well, I have teenage drivers, and there were a couple accidents, a couple tickets, actually. Two accidents, two tickets. And you know what? Geico's dropping us. They're no longer going to insure us. And I was like, is there anything I can do? 
Is there an appeal process? What if I fire my kids? <laughs> Sorry, you can't fire your children. Is anybody interested? Well, they were. They were. And so what happens is, he says here in verse 8, I want you to put my house, put my word first. This was their solution. The prophet has already told them about their situation. He points out the solution. He says, you put my house first. Okay? I want you to put my house first. And he gives us the reasons. Did you see them both there? Okay? What were the reasons? The first one there in verse um, 8 is to please God. That I may take pleasure. The Apostle Paul said it this way. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I make it my goal because I understand the terror of the Lord. He said, I make it my goal to please Him. I make it my goal to please Him. And he also says here that I, that the Lord may be glorified. These are two great motives. If you want to change your heart, which will change your life, according to the book of Haggai, he's given us a couple motives. He says, first, I want you to put my house first. Why? In order to please God, that God would take pleasure in it. And secondly, that he would be glorified. That the Lord, we could bring glory to the Lord, that glorifies the Lord. In order to, we do that. All right? So... What happened? And this is a wonderful thing that happens to parents, right? When you got to get after the kid and they obey you. If you're a preacher or a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, or you're a prophet and you have to bring a word to someone that may not be easy and maybe a difficult word, but they hear you. Listen to Zerubbabel. It says, and then starting from the top, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and don't miss it in verse 12, all the remnant of the people obeyed. This is the deal. This is the deal changer. All the people obeyed. Alright? They all obeyed the voice of the Lord. Everybody. Everybody. The whole church house got on board with this program. They all said, you know what? You're right. I have been focusing too much time on my own things. My own uh, savings account. My own hobbies. My own fun. And I have been neglecting God in God's house. And they all got on board. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord. And it says, and all the people, not only did they obey the voice of the Lord, which is an outward thing that they did, they feared the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom, young people, all people. The proverb says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They didn't just do what the Lord said, but there was something that happened in their heart and they kind of got it. It was like, wow, you know what? You're right. God deserves all of this and I've been holding back and we're going to go for it. And what did they do? It says, they all obeyed. And they came with all the people and they began and they worked on the house of the Lord. But don't miss this. There's a couple things that happen in verse 13. This is really great. When they do obey the message of the Lord, then what happens? Then Haggai, the mess, I mean, verse 13, the messenger of the Lord spoke of the people with the Lord's message. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. Right? Parents, when your kids start cooperating with your program, what happens to your heart? Okay? I had a youngster last night who uh, who was doing a really good job helping me. And when I got done, I wanted to bless that kid. I wanted to get in my van, drive over here to Big J's and get him a raspberry float or something. Because we had a job to do and it was getting dark and he stuck with me and it wasn't an easy job. I had to change my oil, got my oil all changed. And then I realized there's a little washer that had come off of my oil plug and when I went to dump the oil, that little washer was still in the oil. 
and I had put the bolt on the plug in without the washer, that little gasket. And I thought, oh, man, now I gotta undo that last job. And so this kid was there with me. I wanted to bless him. And when people say, oh, we're gonna get with God's program, God says to them, He says, I am with you. God is like excited when His kids. Get with the program. He says, I am with you in verse 13. He says, I am with you. And what happens is the result of God's presence. Look there. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of all the people. God was working on their insides. Folks, outward obedience without inside transformation is just kind of like doing the job. But when you want to do the job and you're motivated by the inside, God shows up and he says, I am going to stir up these people. I am with you. He stirs up their spirit. They came and they worked on the house of the Lord God. Everybody came and they worked. So God stirred up their spirits. This is so important. God stirred up their spirits. And as we read a little farther there in chapter 2, they were having a bit of a problem. What was the problem? If you read this in the book of Ezra, Ezra says when they got the the temple was built, they got this temple built, and everybody was kind of like bummed, or they were super excited. So if I said, I want all of you to make the noise you'd make if you were super excited, and I want all of you to make the noise you'd make if you were super sad at the same time. And what had happened was, all the old folks who saw the former temple, they were like, oh man, this temple wasn't anything like the other one. And the young kids were like going, yeah, we finally got the temple. And who won the day? Well, these people were discouraged because the new temple wasn't quite as big as the old temple. Does God say that's a problem? No. We read in chapter 2 what God actually says was, guess what, folks? I will come and fill this temple with me, which is what the temple was all about. A temple without God isn't much of a temple. I will fill this new temple with me in such a way that the glory of this little, smaller temple that you all have built will exceed that huge temple that Solomon built. It was a matter of the inside out. And God says, I'm going to do that. And, and again, here, look in chapter 2. He said, Who is left among you who saw this house in the former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing? Yet yeah, be strong, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people. Work, for I am with you. And don't miss this. Verse 5, very important. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The biggest thing these folks have got going for them now is that uh, God's Spirit... Draw yourself a big, dark arrow. God's Spirit is with them. Work, my Spirit is with you. My Spirit is in your Spirit. God wants us to know the real deal is that He's in our hearts working with us, working for us. You're obeying me. God says, I am with you. I will help you. I will not leave you. Alone, And so what happens? All the people work in this house. All the people worked on God's house. Working together with God's Spirit. Everybody's working together. Okay. Well, that's the situation. That's what Haggai wrote to. That's what the people did. They responded. And you know what? This is one of those Bible books that turn out really great. You go, wow, that's really good. They don't all. But the point we want to focus on now is to ask ourselves a question. 
Ask yourself a question. When you think about your personal relationship with the Lord, and maybe you think about things that the Lord would have you be working on, some of these things may take some effort. You might have to change the way you're thinking or the way you're talking to uh, your children or your husband. or your, You might have to change the way you're uh, using your time. But And you might say to yourself, you know what, I'll get around to working on that a little later. Maybe you're putting that idea off a bit. My question for you is, are there things that you make sure you do every day? Are are there things that you make sure... You've got time to do other things, right? Are those things more important than the things God may be calling you to? I'm going to ask Johnny and Mo to come up here for just a second. Alright, Johnny and Mo. Alright, Mo, take this into the taping. And I want you to go out there, head towards towards the bathroom, okay? And Johnny's going to stand here, and I will stop this tape in just a second. Oh, we keep going. I want you boys to hold this tape pretty tight between the two, okay? Johnny, back to this one. Oh, oh, here we go. Alright, this is my, for those of you who don't know, this is my son, Johnny. This is my adopted son, Mo. Actually, Mo's a foreign exchange student. Alright, back up a little bit, Johnny. Oh, no, 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 no. Leave it there. And what I did was I had him put just that mold come this way a little bit. All right, there we go. That's good. All right, keep it tight between you, man, okay? Nice and tight. I want to be able to walk on it. You ready? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> My question for this is tw- this, this tape represents the hours you have in a day. Okay? I pulled out 24 because you all get 24, right? You're all good at that. Nobody gets more than 24. Nobody gets less than 24. You all get 24. My question is. Of this 24 hours that God gives you every day, how much of these hours do you make God a priority? Okay. If you made God, if you gave God one hour a day, you would be giving God one twenty-fourth of your day. It would be a question about this law. If you spent an hour listening to God's word and maybe talking to God, that would be that would be a section of your day like this. But you know what? Let me let me submit to you. That let's say you're in the habit of reading God's Word. Maybe you get up in the morning and you spend about 15 minutes reading the Bible. There, maybe you do it pretty early. Or, I don't know, maybe you do it in the evening. I don't know when you do that, but that's what it would look like. This would be the section of the day that you give to God. You spend 15 minutes a day hearing from the Lord and speaking to Him in prayer. Now, if you gave God a half hour, it would be a section of your day like that. Now when you see that, doesn't make you think. I mean, I'm a little bit, I, I'm a little bit, I think, you know what, Lord? You've given, you've given me a lot more time every day. I mean, I know there's about, from John, about, I sleep about this much every day. Okay? So, even if I say, let's take out what I sleep, let's take out what I'm awake. So here's the other uh, 16 hours that you're awake. What time? How much time do you want to give God? And I think it's important for us to understand. We all have the same 24 hours. What do you do with it? Do you have time for Facebook? Do you have time for video games? Do you have time for messing around on the internet or watching TV? Do you have time for those things? I would say, rare is the person who doesn't have time for those. Do you have time for your hobbies? Do you, do you have time for your kids? Do you have time for, you know, there are other things that take up our time, like maybe we'll spend another couple hours 
um, with between showering and eating and, ma- and fixing food and cleaning up after food, right? You know how that goes. And maybe you spend another eight or nine or ten hours at work. Okay, I still have this much time left over. The question is, could we give a piece of that to God? Can we use a little time to devote to God? Because, John, you know, you guys did great things because you that down. Um, I think it's important for us to understand. If I look at my life and I find myself struggling in my relationships, or I look at my life and, and things just don't seem to be going well in my business, or if I look at my life and maybe I got holes in my health, and I just can't seem to get ahead of something. Folks, I'm not saying that every time we choose to serve God, we get healthy and wealthy. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... There are things that we can do, Matt talked about this last week, there are things that we can do to receive God's blessing and favor. And when God's Spirit is working with us, or rather, when we are working, when we are working with God's Spirit, then we have a situation like we have here where we could be neglecting the things of the Lord. And the Lord says, why don't you focus on me? And, and if you think this is an Old Testament teaching. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? Jesus said it this way. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He asked in that same passage, Why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how you're going to pay the bills? He said, Everybody in the world is looking after those things. He says, I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of those things. Those things, I'll take care of you. In the same way that my kids don't get up in the morning and ask me, Dad, are you going to make sure the Quest Art bill is paid? And, you know, Mom, are you going to make sure there's food in the fridge? Come on. You know, and especially if it's coming from Timmy or Noah. Look, I'd like, that's not your job. That's Daddy's job. God's job is to provide for us. Our job is to turn to Him in devotion and, and in order to please Him and in order to glorify Him. We want to make God's priorities our priorities. And I think it's important when we look at an Old Testament book like this that we read it and we think, well, God had a message for those people. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. What is God's message for me? What can I learn from this Old Testament prophet that I can put into 2015 and make a difference in my life? And you know what, folks? I want you to know that I'm learning and growing just like all of you. When the word of the Lord comes to me, I want to be receptive to it and I want to obey it. I want to share something real real, real, real quickly with you. It has to do with next Sunday. What are we doing next Sunday afternoon at Riverdale? Baptisms, okay? And... And I want to say something. I am very humble because when this word came, it came to the governor, right? And it came to the high priest. And these guys, um, uh, these two men, uh, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel, neither of these guys put themselves above the word of the Lord. If the word of the Lord convicted them, you know what happened? They turned. So did the rest of the people. We're having baptisms next Sunday. I I want you to know that I am so encouraged to be a part of a church family where the Word of God is preached and it doesn't matter who hears it, we all are responsible to, to listen to it. Jim Shabaria and Gloria signed up for baptisms. I was a little surprised. Well, Jim had said he had never been baptized according to the way Bill described it in the teaching of the Bible. And Gloria said she had been um, sprinkled as a child, but she had never gone through a believer's baptism in a public place where she would be baptized like she's going to be next Sunday. And I thought to myself, if I'm in a church family where the governor 
or one of the elders, and the pastor's wife, representing the high priest, are willing to say, you know what? That was a good sermon, Bill. That convicted me. I need to do something about it. I thought, what a great place to be. I'm in a church that doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, from, from the oldest to the youngest, from the most mature Christian to the baby Christian, if you want to be baptized, come be baptized. And I think we all need to take a look at the Word of God, and it doesn't matter what God is bringing to our attention, let's just make sure that by His Spirit, we obey it from the heart, by His Spirit's help, so that ultimately He can receive the pleasure and the glory. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the Word of God, and we thank You for this Old Testament book of Haggai, and all the lessons it teaches us about people who hear the word of the Lord and who want to be sensitive and who want to obey it. And it doesn't matter if it was the governor or the high priest, including all the people, they turned and they obeyed. Lord, I don't know how you might be talking to each one of my brothers and sisters here today, but I know, Lord, how you're talking to me and I just pray that I will hear the word of the Lord and like the people in Haggai's day, I will be willing to obey it. I'll be willing to humble myself and say, you know what? I need to change. And Lord, help me go your way. God, we all struggle with our priorities. We've got time for this and time for that. We've got money for this and money for that. Do we have time? And do we have our money surrendered to you in such a way that you can get us as your people to focus on building your house, on serving the Lord, on supporting the Lord's ministries, and loving you the way these people responded. We pray for your help. And we thank you again for teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.